there. I asked Marcus and Nikki if I could show it. This is Valentine's weekend, of course, and I saw it last week. I saw it, of course, two years ago when it first happened, but um, uh, it was just precious, you know. Just so precious. And today's about conflict. <laughs> and I'd like to say it's always like that, right? Like Marcus put a lot of time and thought and energy into that. He did a good job. Yeah. <laughs> what? What? Oh, you're welcome, Marcus. You did a great job. And I wish it was always like that. I'm sure it is in Marcus and Nikki's case. But I mean, I, don't you wish it was always like that? In our relationships, with our kids, our spouses, our teammates, or whatever? I wish it was always like that. But that's what heaven's going to be like. And this is called what? Earth. That's right. This is Earth. And we all carry this whole U-Haul of stuff into marriage or relationships or workplaces or whatever that, that kind of, you know, because life is full of mountaintops and valleys, right? And so we all kind of carry this into our relationships. And, and it's about, this weekend's about conflict and, and it's really about this, which you guys have on your outlines. By the way, if you're new with us, you have an outline in your packet that you got when you came in. We'll be in Acts chapter 15 and 16 if you want to... Turn there on your phones or in your Bibles or whatever you have. If you don't have a Bible and you want a paper Bible, you can go out to the blue tent after uh, church and get one. But this weekend's all about how we navigate our relational conflicts in godly ways. Because we just don't always do it that way, right? We don't, we don't know what we're doing. I didn't know what I was doing when I got married. Uh, my family was, my, my, when I say the word Al Bundy, <laughs> how many of you know what I'm talking about? Al Bundy? Uh, if you're older, it would be uh, uh, Archie, Archie Bunker, Archie Bunker. So I grew up with Al and then became Al. Without knowing it, I just was Al. I thought that was the way the world was. I thought that's what, what men do and how they are. I, I really did. I didn't see anything necessarily wrong with it. Um, now, this became obviously a major source of conflict with my wife and I. Though she, because we're baby Christians and everything, she had a keen sense of submission, and so she gravitated toward this way with me that just ultimately caused us to have a lot of conflict. For example, I asked her this past week, I said, honey, what's like one story? She gave me two. Anyway, <laughs> so, so, so this one time, we were uh, newlyweds relatively, and Michael, my oldest, was two and a half, so this would have been 1982 and a half. Uh, roughly, uh, and uh, we, you know, I, she, I, actually, yeah, yes, 82 and a half. Anyway, I was working, she was working full-time, she was pregnant with Ryan, and, uh, uh, who's our youngest, and so she'd gotten home, gotten the kids from preschool, gotten home from work, and prepared dinner. I was at work, I was now in the ministry, so I was in uh, Ocean Beach at now it's our campus. Back in those days, it was another church, and I was on staff. I was the uh, campus director in our language. Anyway, so she called me, honey, it's time for dinner. So the king came home. <laughs> Al came home, and Al sits down at the table because that's what Al does. He comes in. He sits down at the table where he is served, and so, you know, we begin conversation, the dish is served in front of me. It's fish and vegetables and salad and whatever. 
and, and uh, we're chit-chatting. She had gotten up for something, and I, and, uh, I was taking a few. We prayed, you know, whatever. And then I took a few bites, and then I got to the fish. It was fish, and I love fish. Anyway, so we got to the fish, and I took a bite of the fish, and I said, honey? She goes, what? And I go, there's something wrong with the fish. Just, just like that. <laughs> now, how many of you know I'm in trouble right there? <laughs> so she's all, oh, what's wrong with it? I said, well, I don't know. It's just not prepared properly. And so she said, oh, let me help. So she came over to my plate, got my plate with a smile, brought it over the trash, and dumped it all in the trash. Which I needed her to do. But it brought then into light a conflict. <laughs> that had, you know, downline consequences, let me just say. Now, they were good, but I didn't understand it at the time, okay? And it's because I really didn't know how to really deal with conflict, let alone the specific roles in which I gravitated toward. They're not necessarily wrong. It's just that the way I uh, managed them or led in those roles was jacked up. Okay, you can go ahead and write that down on your notes. It's not that they were necessarily wrong. Like, is it wrong for a woman to cook her husband a meal? Of course not. It was just the way in which we had gravitated in our marriage and the way in which I, you know, gravitated to being Al. Al, Al was always in every room. The kids, my wife, and, and Al, by the way, existed even in ministry environments. Al existed in, in church stuff that I was leading. Al was everywhere in my world. Conflict arose because of it. Now, we're going to go in our Bibles to a really cool passage. We're going to go to Acts 15 and 16, and I want to talk with you about a fight, a fight that happens in the early church, okay? Uh, Acts 15 and 16, yeah. Uh, now, I need to set it up for you, okay? We're on the heels in Acts 15. Paul, the apostle, in the story of Acts, he becomes a Christ follower. He gets ultimately called into ministry in the city of Antioch. It's up north. And he, he then feels called with this guy named Barnabas. We'll see all these characters in the, in the story. He feels called with Barnabas to go on a missions trip to plant churches. Like what we do to kingdom builders, that's what they did. That's why we do that, because of the Bible, because of the examples in Scripture. So, so they began to go north into Turkey. We call it Turkey today, Galatia in that era, and plant churches all around. He'd experienced torture. Now, Paul, he'd experienced torture and all kinds of difficulties in planting these churches, uh, and, and, you know, just dramatic, right? So he's on this missions trip for a while. He, and, and what happens is he begins to, his strategy was, because he's Jewish, so it's kind of the homogeneous unit principle in sociology, so he goes into synagogues, basically, to people that he's best at reaching, if you will. He goes into Jewish context and shares the gospel about Jesus Christ, that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah, that he died on the cross for our sins, that we are saved by grace through faith, not by working, not by doing good things, that you're saved because you begin a relationship with Jesus where the Spirit of God comes into your life and He begins to change you from the inside out. And that all the things that you do as a Christ follower, you do it because you have been saved, not in order to get saved. Now, this was complicated in the first century church because it's primarily Jewish. 
and especially, especially in the city of Jerusalem where all the apostles and the elders are. And so they debate this subject. Is it okay for the Gentiles to become straight up Christ followers without following the ceremonial, for lack of a better word, the ceremonial dimensions of the law? How many of you are not Jewish? You're not Jewish, raise your hand. Okay, so most of you. Uh, you are all a result of the debate, the conflict in Acts chapter 15. Because the apostles and the elders conclude, yes, you're saved by grace through faith. This is not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, so that no one can boast. And yet God has prepared all these works for you to do in your life that you never get to live out until you're a Christ follower. So purpose, you know, Rick wrote the book. How many of you have read Purpose Driven Life? If you haven't read it, it's a great book. Uh, great gift to give away, by the way. Anyway, uh, uh, Purpose Driven Life. You know, so now that I'm a Christ follower and I have the grace of God in my life, my life, I get to follow the purposes that God always had for me to live, okay? Which is so cool. Now we pick up the story. Look at verse, what is it? Uh, 30. Look at verse 30, Acts chapter 15. So it's on the heels of what was then called the Jerusalem Council. It says this, the men were sent off and went down to Antioch. Now Antioch is north of Jerusalem. They say down because Jerusalem's in the mountains. Um, but it was also kind of like everything was down from Jerusalem. So Jerusalem was the center of the world from a Jewish perspective, all right? Uh, anyway, the men were sent off, and by the way, specifically that's uh, Barnabas and Paul, and then two prophets, you, you'll meet him in a second, where they delivered the church uh, to get, I'm sorry, where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message, no kidding. Uh, then Judas and Silas, so here's the other two guys, Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, they were prophets. And now you have one of the great definitions of a prophet in the Bible right here. Super short, super clear. A prophet is primarily, for, their primary function is to encourage and strengthen the brothers. That's the primary use of the gift of prophecy. Most of us, when we hear prophecy, a prophet, the gift of prophecy, we think of what? Yeah, the future, right? The future, like telling the future, which prophets do at times, I'm just saying, these, the primary function is encouragement and teaching. So anyway, uh, so Judas and Silas joined the band. After spending some time there, they were sent off by the brothers with a blessing of peace to return to those who had sent them. That's basically a lot of words for back to Jerusalem, okay? But, but Paul and Barnabas remain in Antioch where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. Then it says in your Bible, sometime later. So this is about three years after the first missionary journey, okay? So sometime later. Uh, if you're familiar with the biblical chronology, and if you're not, let me just remind you. So Timothy's already in the experience. He's from Lystra, where, Tim, where Paul had been stoned before. Um, now, when I say that, I do not mean OB like stoned. I mean <laughs> stoned like rocks hurled at him, okay? In fact, so much so that they, they thought he was dead, they drag him out of the city, and it says the, the leaders gather around him, and it doesn't, Luke doesn't tell us, but I'm sure a miracle takes place, because then Paul gets up and he's fine. 
and but probably Timothy, who in that scene in Acts chapter 14 is only about 15 years old, so he's like a teenager, but, but he's already become a Christ follower, and God's already starting to form and fashion him, all right? Because he, he's going to be in this scene. Watch. So go back to your Bibles. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. This will be the second missionary journey, uh, which goes from 50 AD to 52, okay? Just so you're aware. Uh, so let's go to all the towns. Well, Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take... So this big fight begins, this conflict. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he, had not, uh, because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. That's in the first missionary journey. So John Mark had deserted him. And so Paul says, no way, Jose. Ain't going to happen. Ain't going to happen. They had such a, I have this underlined, they have such a sharp agreement, disagreement. Like they're in a fight, conflict. Really? Remember, remember, remember. Who's the only perfect person in the Bible? Jesus. Everybody else is broken and sinful like you and me. See? Okay? So don't make apostles uh, holier or something. We have this thing we do in church, in church history. We make people like walking on water kind of guys. Okay? So don't do that. They're normal. They, anyway, they have such a fight. They have such a disagreement that they part company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas, the prophet, and left. Commended, but they were all commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Then they come to Derbe and then to Lystra, uh, where a disciple named Timothy lived. This is from last week now. So they go to Lystra, which is in today what we call Turkey, okay? uh, whose mother was a Jewish, Jewess and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. What does that mean? That means his mom is a Jew ethnically, but religiously. Okay, she's a spiritual Jew, all right? His dad's a Greek. And Luke, by this, Luke means his dad is a polytheist. His dad is not of the Jewish faith. And now his mom, who's a Jew, becomes a Christ follower. So they're both, they're what Paul will write about in the Corinthian epistles as unequally yoked. Mom and dad do not follow the same faith, do not operate according to the same guidelines of that faith. Dad's a polytheist and a Greek. Mom's a Jewess and a, and a, uh, a, a Jew who's now become a Christ follower. Now, right there, that is a marriage full of conflict. I'm just saying. This is why it's very important to have Jesus at the center of your marriage. That's the deal. Anyway, so it's complicated, right? He's got his own U-Haul. So the, the, so the mother's, dad's Greek. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him, Timothy, that is. He's in his early 20s now, probably 22. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey. But remember, I told you Paul's strategy. He goes first to the synagogue then, you know, experiences some success in terms of people becoming Christ followers, but then ultimately rejected, in which case he goes out to the larger community, and then he leads a bunch of Gentiles, non-Jews, to Christ, okay? 
But look what he does. Look, look, look at the passage. It says, Paul wanted to take Timothy along, so he circumcised him. Because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew his father was a Greek. So hang on just a second. So Timothy's like 22. He does not need to be circumcised for any religious reasons, any spiritual reasons. He is circumcised because Paul will later write, I become all things to all people that by all, my, all means I may persuade or save some. This is, by the way, your call in your life. Your goal at work, in your neighborhood, whatever, is to become all things, all people, that by all means you may persuade some. Timothy, though, makes an extreme sacrifice at probably 22. He gets circumcised. Men, men, are you listening to me? <laughs> all the men say, ow. <laughs> so he gets circumcised, which is pretty radical in terms of a demonstration of faith and zeal and willingness and... It's just trippy, right? Anyway, it's kind of a thing that we sort of gloss over. I just thought it was weird reading it this week as I was studying. You know, I, I'm familiar with it, but I always like to kind of get inside of it and go, ow. Anyway, uh, so as they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles. That's the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15 uh, that were saved by grace through faith and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were stoked. They were strengthened in faith and grew daily in number. So conflict, handling it in godly fashion. Par, uh, Barnabas, Paul, Timothy, Silas, John, Mark. By the way, in case I forget, because of Barnabas's vision, if you will, for John, Mark, now they're related, so there's some family stuff going on, but because of his vision for John, Mark, you may not know this, some of you may, Mark ultimately is discipled by Peter, the apostle, who was a traveling missionary. James becomes the head and leader of the church in Jerusalem. Peter becomes a missionary. But I'm just saying, Mark ultimately writes the gospel according to Mark. So it's a pretty amazing story in terms of conflict and management and how, how they do it and how they experience it. And one thing's very important, and that is that we have to resolve to see conflict as a way to grow. It's a way to grow. It's a means of growth. Now, we tend to not like it. Why do we tend to avoid conflict? Oh, hey, by the way, for those of you guys on Facebook Live, I know you, I'll, I'll repeat it so you can hear. What, what is it? Why, are we, why do we tend to avoid conflict? It's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. What makes it uncomfortable? Having to deal with the aftermath, that's right. <laughs> the downline consequences. Al Bundy, right? Got it? Got it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What else? Why, why do we avoid con uh, conflict? It causes stress. Causes stress. Why does it cause stress? Because Don't know how to deal with it. Uh -huh. Emotions. It gets emotional, right? You could be wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the R word. <laughs> we could be, I'm sorry, it could, could be that we're, we're wrong and we have to admit it. That we're wrong, okay? Uh, anything else you can think of? Fear of rejection. Fear of rejection. Huge. Huge. Why do we shy away from speaking the truth in love, which is essential to conf biblical confrontation? Paul writes about it in Ephesians. Why do we shy away from it? Because of the fear of rejection, right? And we take, it's a boundaries issue, by the way, we, we take responsibility for the other person's reaction or response or whatever. 
Um, that's why a conflict is courageous. We, we have to see it from this vantage point, though. It's there for us to grow. And healthy conflict helps us clarify perspectives. It helps us to see the world differently. I love this verse. I memorized it as a baby Christian. In fact, let's read it off the screen. Ready? As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. This is Teresa's in my story. Part of why she's in my life and I'm in hers is to sharpen each other. And I had a lot of sharpening that needed to take place. Let me just say, Al Bundy, okay? Uh, so, like, like uh, in our lives, it was like earlier than the earlier story. This was the other story that she adequately supply, supplied me with. Uh, but but uh, she was a mad typist, okay? She was really, really good at typing. And I didn't even like, I didn't know how to type. I eventually learned, of course. But in those days... Computers were just coming out because this is the days of Noah's Ark. Anyway, uh, and we had, we had a, a mechanical device called a typewriter. And it, when you, a typewriter was like a thing when you pressed on, kind of like a keyboard today, you press on, on buttons and then these things went up on the paper. And it literally made an imprint on the paper with color. And so, so she was typing for me. This is when I'm graduating from my undergraduate degree. So this is 1980. And she's typing roughly a 35-page paper with footnotes. And uh, Michael was, uh, at this time, an infant. He was born in January. This is like May. So he's like, whatever, four months old. She's typing my paper. And when you made a mistake, you had to have this little paper. And you put it in between the hammer thing that's going to go up on the paper. And it would turn it white so that you could type that letter again. Really trippy. Um, how many of you have ever, how many of you have never used a, like, physical typewriter? You, raise your hand if you've never used a physical typewriter. Yeah, most of you have never used one. It's really a cool invention. <laughs> okay, so she's sitting there typing my paper. She's got Michael as an infant on her lap who's fussing. I am standing over her shoulder giving her instructions. Al Bundy, Al Bundy. But it was a defining moment in my life, and I remember it like to this day. And it wasn't just my life, but it was Michael's life and it was Teresa's life. So I, I was being so annoying to her, as you could well imagine, that, that she eventually got super frustrated and she grabs Michael, the infant, on her belly. She's like at a desk, infant on her lap, typing my paper, I'm yelling over her shoulder, giving her instructions nicely. Anyway, she grabs Michael, hands him to me and says, Father, behold thy son. <laughs> now go away. <laughs> now up to this time, I had not really spent extended time with Michael. I didn't know how to do babies. I didn't know what you, I, did, I was horrible at it. And, you know, like, it was complicated for me because I didn't, I didn't grow up that way. I, didn't, I never took care of a baby in my whole life. You know, you don't have, even have to take a class to have a baby. That's a trip, isn't it? Anyway, I didn't know what to do with him. Plus, he was breastfed. <laughs> I didn't even have the proper equipment. But, I, you know, I had to, like, change him. And this is pre-pamper world. Ladies and gentlemen, this is cloth diapers, okay? Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I ended up taking care of him 
for like several hours, and it was one of the times I looked back on and found that I fell in love with Michael. But I didn't really know, because remember, I'm Al. And, and it, it changed my worldview. That, I mean, I've had to have my worldview changed a lot of times, okay, that's just one example. But anyway, and understand how different personalities may view the situation very differently. Like in Barnabas and Paul, okay, Barnabas wants to take uh, John Mark, but Paul didn't, because uh, he deserted him. So John Mark was young, and he, and he you know, failed, it was a mission fail. And now, they're not, I, I, the Bible doesn't tell me, and I don't want to make more of this than the, the, is probable. Neither of them are necessarily wrong, and don't make this about wrong and right. Make this about a leadership call, a wisdom call, that has personality to do with it and family of origins. Paul and Barnabas are just different. What's Barnabas's name mean? Barnabas. Son of encouragement, that's right. He's a natural born encourager. Paul is a natural born leader. He's a natural born you know, evangelist, teacher, blah, 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 right? So he's a little bit like that, right? Who do you think I relate more with? Paul, of course. If you know me, you know that's true of me. I have all kinds of rough edges. That, that's why you need a team around you. As a leader, you need a team. And you must build the team to your weaknesses. You must know your weaknesses and build your team around your weaknesses. Otherwise, you have a bunch of people like you. You're going to train roll over everybody. Okay? That's just the way it's going to go. Conversely, if you have a bunch of Barnabai, <laughs> you can be all whatever, but you, you know, may not get a lot accomplished. Now, Barnabas is a great leader. He ultimately accomplishes great things. I'm just saying you got to be careful. This is about personality and how we view things, okay? So I built this uh, like acrostic or acronym. I can't remember which one it is. What is it? Ron, I had him do the deep dive. It's an acrostic, okay? Google it. Ron's done it twice. Anyway, everything starts and ends with prayer, okay? The P word. We often miss it. We go right into fix-it mode. How many of you are natural-born fixers, natural-born strategists? Yes. So you and I, we're wired that way, right? Like, this is classic. I asked Teresa to tell me about her day, so she tells me about her day. I immediately go into fix-it mode. Like, you would think, after 43 years, I would have this down. I'm just saying, thick as a brick. Anyway, pray, <laughs> empathize. All, you can look up all these verses. Empathize, listen, get inside of their suffering, get inside of their story, their pain, their, their whatever. And then this, act first, be a, Jesus commands us, he says, blessed are you when you are a peace what? Maker. A peacemaker. Not, he didn't say peacekeeper. He said peacemaker. Very different. So it requires you to act. It requires you to be the peacemaker, which involves conflict which deals with all of our fears and all the things we said earlier, okay? And then choose forgiveness. Uh, forgiveness is your secret sauce. It's your secret weapon. We'll talk more about it in a minute. Forgiveness is, is your jam, okay? That's, that's the most powerful thing you bring. And then, of course, encourage each other at the end. Encourage each other always when you kind of eclipse out of the conflict. And most conflicts, you'll, you're going to resolve again and again and again. It's hardly ever that you have a conflict where like, I mean, even in my experience with Michael, there were many ahs along the way. It was a major one, but, you know, not the only one. And then, why am I fighting? 
Like, what is going on? Why is it this sharp disagreement? Now, we know it revolves around a wisdom call that Paul makes about John Mark because he deserted him in Pamphylia on the earlier mission. Paul has every right to make that call. Any of you who lead, you know what this is about. You have a, a mission fail on the part of one of the team members. You, you either fired them or you lost them or you managed them to another team, whatever. But, <laughs> but you, you made a leadership call. It's not wrong or right, but you have to still get at the why. The why. And I, I want to give you this tool to help you. Questions to consider when you're in conflict. And by the way, this is all about mountains you choose to climb. A lot of us, we kind of have it in us wired to climb every mountain. And that's your life. It's your story, okay? By the way, I want you to think right now about a conflict that you are currently dealing with. Conflict, your don't look at each other. <laughs> I saw a couple do that. Don't look at each other. Look at me, look at me. I just want you to think about a conflict you are currently in, having, okay? Um, does it demand immediate resolution? There's hardly ever an immediate resolution, by the way. Can our different perspectives be mutually respected? And by the way, if I could inject one idea of all the ideas today, it's about respect in conflict. This is going to be a major issue this year. Why? Yes, we are in election year. If I could wave a wand across us, to be peacemakers, to be mutually respectful when we're discussing subjects that ought to be discussed and debated. It's just that we tend to do this in this current iteration, this current generation, this current milieu. We tend to do this, not with respect, but with hatred and demeaning and belittling, and it's a power grab. And you know why? Because we, I think it's on this one, this one. Am I more concerned about being right? It's kind of what one of you guys said earlier, we don't want to be wrong, okay? Whatever. You do know that you're wrong about a myriad of things, right? You're wrong about all kinds of things. Get over it. I mean, your whole life, you're going to grow and you're going to have more truth in your life. I'm just saying you're wrong about all kinds of stuff. It's just the way it is. Me too. Obviously, I'm Al Bundy. Um, and, and am I motivated by a sinful desire to get my own way, or is there a real difference of opinion that needs to be resolved? And this is super important in terms of, it's not so much wrong and right, it's about personalities, it's about using conflict as a way forward. It's like, it's like uh, how many of you have a teenager at home? Okay, bunches of you. God bless you all. Um, uh, but... Okay, so you fight about all kinds of things with your teenagers. Why? Because they're differentiating, they're arriving at their own conclusions. You want to raise them to leave, not cleave. You know, uh, what's the movie that was super popular? Failure to launch. Okay, so, you know, you're trying to raise them to launch, right? Will you please? Do you have a career? Whatever. So you're all in this problem, okay? It's a great time of conflict. But you just have to choose like when and how and why and all of the nuances of conflict and see conflict as a way forward, as a way to solve over a long protracted period of time. Uh, Sarah and Tommy, when they do the parenting thing, they talk about moving from you know, where you kind of tell the kids what to do to being their coach in their teenage years, you know? And, and then on into adult world where, where you, you uh, and Teresa has that book, um, 
What's the book? I uh, put it on my Facebook. A bunch of you are reading it or read it. It's like, uh, yeah, Parenting Your Adult Children, but there's a subtitle. Keep your mouth shut and the doormat out. Keep your mouth shut and the doormat out. Write that down. <laughs> Keep your mouth shut and the doormat out. Anyway, all of this is important when it comes to conflict. Paul and Barnabas, Silas, Timothy, they're all having to deal with it, just like you and I. And you, it's got to be about the mission. See, striving to resolve conflicts helps us stay on mission. It's true in your marriage. What's your enemy? What is his mission? To steal, kill, and destroy everything, including your marriage, including your children, including your goals. It's true in your workplace. Striving to resolve conflicts helps us stay on mission. It's true in missions. It's true in this experience in the book of Acts. Um, Barnabas took Paul, Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas. All of them were commended by the believers, and their whole goal was to strengthen the churches. Now, they make this decision built upon the mission. So you have to see it. Listen, bitterness breaks God's mission. What's bitterness? How does bitterness happen, Pastor Mike? One choice to not forgive after another. And then bitterness becomes the way. And, the, and bitterness, as I've taught you before, bitterness is like taking poison and expecting them to die. They will be sitting on the beach in Waikiki, sipping a Mai Tai. They aren't even thinking about you. You no longer even exist in their thought process. And here you are, spinning and toiling and gritting your teeth. They'll kill you. Bitterness breaks the mission, okay? And pursuing forgiveness. Ooh, here we get to the secret sauce. Paul, the Apostle Paul, same dude, sharp disagreement. Later on in life, he's going to write a letter to the church at Colossa. It's a city. Colossa. It's called Colossians in your Bible. This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. It's a kind of uh, large statement about how we're to be as Christ followers. He says... And now, he's talking to the church, but he's also talking to you about the people in your life, okay? Not just church, but everybody, but certainly the church. Bear with one another. Why do we have to bear with each other? Because we're messy. People ask me all the time, especially when I'm inviting them to church. And, you know, they'll say, I don't know, I've, been, I've tried that. And I said, oh, what happened? And they'll always tell me some hurt. And I'll say, yeah, churches are messy. You know Why? Because we're there. We're there. You know, I mean, it's like people who avoid uh, getting married. Because uh, maybe they've been married before, whatever. But it, it's like it, marriage is complicated. We're there. Anyway, bear with each other and what? Forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. So keeping a fresh sense of your forgiveness is crucial. Crucial. Parents, this is so crucial. Um, often one of the biggest mistakes I've made parenting is I expect, uh, like with Michael and Ryan, I expected Ryan to act like Michael, but Michael was three years older than him. And another crazy-making thing that I did, I'm sure you're wiser, I expected that what worked with Michael would work with Ryan. I'm like, and then I'd get an attitude toward Ryan. Dude, what's up? And, and I was mad. Why am I mad? Because my little technique isn't working. 
But why am I actually mad? Because I'm scared. Why am I scared? I've got to learn it again. And I'm wrong. There's that R word again, right? Anyway, and over all these virtues put on love. What? What? Yeah, I, you know, I say R because of wrong, you know, W-R, but I don't know. <laughs> I figured it would get you thinking. Burley, it's amazing. I, I'm, I'm, I, I knew I got you. I got you. I love it. Uh, anyway, <laughs> which binds them all together in perfect unity. I love this service, you know, because it's the last service. I get to do whatever I want. <laughs> no. <laughs> and I've learned from everybody all weekend. Like, it's been fun this weekend, I must say in all the services, because you're all different from each other. It's fun. Anyway, uh, <laughs> let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body, he means the church, you are called to peace, and be what? Thankful. Be thankful. Now, in the story of Paul and Barnabas and Mark, who again will light, write later on the gospel of Mark, that he, because he's mentored by Peter, so really in Mark's gospel, you kind of get Peter's perspective. Anyway, he, he's, Paul's in the Mamertine prison. This is where we were, I think, last week or the week before. He's, in the, he's dying. He's in the Mamertine prison. He knows he's gonna, either going to get killed by being crucified like Jesus or, because that's how everybody's getting killed, by Nero, the crazy emperor in Rome. Or he's going to be thrown into a, a Colosseum where he's going to likely be eaten by lions. So he knows this. And he's writing to Timothy, who's this pastor in Ephesus. And he says a bunch of things, but I just wanted to point this verse out. He says, only Luke, now this is the Luke who's writing Acts. Only Luke is here with me. And then he says, get Mark. And bring him with you because he's helpful to me in my ministry. Well, when did they work through the conflict? We don't know. We just know that they did. And it seems from this verse, and there's a few other verses that give us a hint of it, that it's been some years now. So at some point in time, probably, I like to think like after the missionary, second missionary journey is over, they all come back and they're all celebrating all that God did and there's Mark and Mark made it. Get it? Mark rose to the task. He became a leader and he didn't desert Barnabas and it went wonderfully because they planted a whole bunch of churches and it was awesome. But they, they, they made up. They worked through the, the conflict. Okay, that's the deal. Now, forgiveness, your secret power. Here's how not to do it. Okay? I'm sorry, but. Don't get the but. Never let it come out of your mouth when you're saying, I'm sorry. You just say, what? I'm sorry. Okay? And then, and then this one. Oh, I'm sorry I hurt you, honey. Yeah, that won't go well. Um, and usually there's a but, by the way. I'm sorry I hurt you, but. And then this one. Well, I said I was sorry. <laughs> it's like the dude who never tells his wife he loves her, and he said, well, I told you I loved you when I married you. <laughs> you got to tell him often, often, all the time. So here's how to say I'm sorry. Ready? In fact, let's read it off the screen. This is going to hurt a little. Okay? Ready? I'm sorry. I was wrong. Oh. Wow. Let's do it again. Ready? Ready? Louder, louder. 
I'm sorry. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Oh my gosh. <laughs> All right, one more time. I'm sorry. I was wrong. You're asking for the greatest gift right there. Imagine, if you work at Qualcomm, imagine the difference you could bring to Qualcomm if you practiced this in your team. If you work at Intuit, if you work at Hewlett Packard, if you work in education, you own your own business. Imagine the business owners who said often, I'm sorry. Sorry for how I handled that yesterday in that meeting. My attitude sucked. And I was wrong. I was wrong. Would you please forgive me? You're asking for the greatest gift. Imagine the power of this in every single one of your workplaces, your homes, your streets. Imagine the power of this. Imagine the power of you being a peacemaker. That's what this is about. And Jesus said, when you are a peacemaker, you are going to be blessed. Makarios is the Greek word. That word was used of an island. That when you went to that island, when you went there, it was such a paradise, kind of like how we view Hawaii, such a paradise that you didn't really need anything. That's, that's the word that Jesus uses for blessed. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes and pray for that blessing. Lord, pray that you'll help us to walk in that blessing. Lord, we know we can only forgive others as we've experienced forgiveness, so forgive us. Pray this with me. Lord Jesus, forgive me for being so thick-headed, so stubborn. Help me to be a peacemaker. Help me to tell people I'm sorry. Help me to ask for forgiveness. Help me to model this. God, help me to model it. Hmm. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing in our hearts and lives right now. Only you can change us from the inside out. You've taught us some great things today, Lord. Help us to steward them well. We love you. 